Well, again, welcome. We're so glad that you're, you're here with us uh, this morning. My name is Nathan. I'm the campus pastor. It's great to, to be together. Thanks for uh, continuing to journey with us in this really uh, challenging section of Scripture. Uh, we're in the Gospel of Matthew, but specifically in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and it, it hurts, um, but hopefully it hurts in a way that is causing growth and change uh, in our lives, flourishing. Um, so let, let's pray and ask God to, to do that work in us as we open the Scriptures. God, I am so grateful that you have spoken to us um, both through your word and through your son. God, that even though you regularly upset our understanding of the good life and the good person, God, we submit ourselves to you. God, we we confess our failures um, and we invite uh, your spirit to continue the work of changing us. We're so thankful for the forgiveness, the life, the hope, the transformation we have through our Savior, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Okay, well, not that I need to give you any reason to, to like me less, um, but there, there's this sort of ongoing, I mean, some of you already know this about me, I kind of have this maybe sort of semi-twisted fascination with kind of like the dark side of, of, of life. Um, so, so, for example, I love... I love dystopic stories, you know, like end of the world, bleak, ugly. Uh, Think, you know, Matrix, Mad Max, Walking Dead, Hunger Games. If the world as we know it is imploding in on itself, I'm in, right? Um, I want to be a part of that somehow. And I don't know if it just like makes me feel better about myself and the world in which I live in. At least we're not, you know, killing zombies or something. Um, But I'm, I'm drawn to these kinds of stories. And I, I think maybe what initially sort of pushed me into this fascination uh, are the, the classic novels, um, 1984 by George Orwell and Brave New World by, by Aldous Huxley. Maybe some of you have read those, maybe at least familiar with them uh, to some extent. In some ways, they, they couldn't be more different, uh, both written around the 1930s and 1940s, and yet they, they offer this really bleak picture of a, you know, end of the world sort of, sort of future. In 1984, it's the infamous big brother that's always watching, right, controlling people through fear. In Brave New World, it's just as bleak, but instead of being manipulated by our fears, we're ruled by what we love. Happy Valentine's Day, by the way. Speaking of love, um, don't want to miss that one. Um, listen to one, one scholar's comparison of these, these, two, these two novels. He writes, Orwell feared those who would deprive us of information. Huxley feared those who would give us so much that we would be reduced to passivity and egoism. Orwell feared that the truth would be concealed from us. Huxley feared that the truth would be drowned in a sea of irrelevance. Orwell feared we'd become a captive culture. Huxley feared we would become a trivial culture. In 1984, people are controlled by inflicting pain. In Brave New World, they are controlled by inflicting pleasure. In short, Orwell feared that what we hate will ruin us. Huxley feared that what we love will ruin us. So who's right? Hopefully neither. And yet I gotta tell you, I find a lot of internal resonance with that last statement. That what we love just might be our ruin. Like for example, if you live for pleasure, it very well could destroy you. If it's food you love, alcohol, sex, power, 
money, success, friends, relationships, even, even family, that our, that our loves, uncontrolled and untethered, just might destroy us. And I'm not talking about some, like, distant, way-off, dystopic future, right? I'm talking about right now, in, in here. Because you see, about 2,000 years ago, Jesus said something very, very similar. He, he said, essentially, that wherever, wherever your treasure is, there goes your heart. Kind of like, there goes, bye, you know, see, thanks for everything. Um, wh- wherever your loves, wherever... Your passions, there goes your desires, your will, your energy, your strength. There goes your master, he said. That we we will be ruled by what we love. So what what will we love? All right, so let's let's zoom out for a second here. Remind us where we are. Um, As I mentioned at the start, we're we're still in in Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew for a long time. We're still in the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe for some of you it feels like we've been in this section for for a while. We'll just say, we won't say forever. Um, Give you the benefit of the doubt there. But we've been here a while, right? It's it's in Matthew chapter 6 today where we're at uh, this morning. And as we've seen each of these weeks with the Sermon on the Mount, we've called this section of Matthew the upside down kingdom because over and over and over again, Jesus keeps throwing all of our expectations for the good life, for the good person, for the things that we love and pursue, keeps throwing them upside down and saying, actually, it's more like this, right? Because he keeps pointing back at our hearts. So a couple of weeks ago, we, we talked about the, ba- the, the heart behind all the bad that we do. Uh, last week, we talked about the heart behind the good things that we do. And now this morning, about the, the need of a properly ordered heart, of, of loves in the right places. You might notice it says part one. Okay, sorry about that, I guess. I don't know. Because um, this, this section of Matthew, we're only going to look at these first few verses. It, it really continues, even though it's, it's one sermon. So here, Jesus really talks about how, um, how our, our hearts are grabbed by our, our, our treasurings. And next week, it's, it's about how anxiety and fear are, are related to that and, and the struggles that we have. And so when our, when our hearts grow disordered, particularly around money and stuff, we go in one of these two directions. We either become a slave to what we think money can give us, that's this week, or we become a slave to fear and anxiety, afraid of, of what we're not going to have. That's, that's next week. Now, I'm going to read it in a second for us here, but, but as I do, I want us to listen to the options that Jesus places before us, because he's urging us to choose the, the better of them, a, a, a better treasure, a better lens, and a better master. Why don't, why don't you stand with me as we read our text this morning? That's part of our, our tradition here often. Um, the scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, 24. So Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat. 
We will be ruled by what we love. So what will we love? Well, first, Jesus shows us a better treasure. That, that whatever, whatever you treasure most, that thing is going to be your boss. So pick the better treasure, right? I, I mean, in, in many ways, you, you may not agree necessarily on, on what Jesus is saying here. Um, but his argument is just, it's just logical, right? If we're going to follow a treasure, pick the, pick the good one. Pick the one that's going to that's gonna do something valuable in your soul, in your life, wholeness for you and for the people, people around you. And Jesus centers this around one of our biggest idols. And we all know it, right? Whether, whether you're a Christian or not, we all know the kinds of slavery money can create. And, and so Jesus, he's, he's been telling us for these last several weeks about his inbreaking, everlasting, unending, upside-down kingdom. And if this kingdom is real, which, again, might be a big if for some of you, but if it is, this is his argument, if, if there's something better coming that he is building even now, if it's real, then, of course, verse 19 again, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where none of those things happen, right? For where your treasure is, there goes your heart. Right? It may say, stop, stop storing up for yourself these lesser treasures. Just stop doing it. It's not worth it, right? Because we do, and, and, and Jesus knows, right? There's no surprise here. Um, and, and stuff, stuff is good. I mean, let's, let's keep that in mind, right? Jesus made the stuff. He's the creator of all things. He's, he is the giver of every good gift. Earthly treasures are treasures. They're just not ultimate treasures, right? And he's afraid that we're going to mis- mistake the two. Because no, nowhere is Jesus saying that we shouldn't save or, or, or work hard to make money, right? But hoarding, right? Building our own sort of tower of, of safety, of security, of power, or, or simply just buying thing after thing after thing after thing. When we do that, Jesus is saying, that, that shows everyone what's, what's actually going on in here. Because there goes your heart. And so, yeah, if it's earthly treasure, then you're going you're gonna to overwork, you're going to oversave, overbuy. And really, even if you feel like you have nothing, right? Maybe some of you are like that. It's like, well, I don't have this problem because I don't, I don't have anything. And yet, you can still be obsessed with these things, right? In fact, I mean, those of you who maybe are in debt a lot, you know acutely the kind of slavery money creates, right? I mean, rich, rich or poor, right? We're, frankly, we're, we're a mess. I mean, even, even just think about this for a second. Um, these are the kind of things that I, I marvel on. Uh, aren't you amazed at how many off-site storage facilities there are? I mean, they're like, they're everywhere. Like you drive by one and then there's another one and it's endless, like garage after garage after garage after garage. And th- I mean, just think about this. I mean, okay, you're moving, you need a place to store. I, I mean, I get, I get that. Um, but think about the fact that you and I, we live in the largest houses humanity has ever made. Ever. But we just need a little more space to keep our stuff, right? Like, we have to rent a space for our stuff. I mean, we're past the point of owning our things, right? Our things own us. And here's where Jesus, I mean, 
I mean, I, lo- I love Jesus, and my imagination t- tends to go a little bit wild, but I, I-, I picture Jesus here, because he-, he knows everything. He knows how we're going to respond to this. He- I mean, he knows humanity intimately. So I actually kind of picture him at this point in the sermon, smirking just a little bit, right? Because he almost like laughs at how ridiculous this is. That-, that we would worship money and the stuff that we think money is going to give us, and it all ends up turning to rust, getting nibbled on by moths, stolen by thieves. And so, you know, for us, right, we put our hope in technology, right, the next big thing, and it's obsolete like two seconds later, right? Or or we think it's, you know, clothes, and then the fashions change, it's toys, and we grow out of them, or frankly, we just get bored of them, or maybe like a car, it, it depreciates with every single mile, a house, and something is going to break, your savings, and the market crashes, right? I mean, at least with Jesus, when he's talking about this, I mean, he's talking in a time period uh, in which wealth was like real stuff, right? I mean, it was actual commodities like gold and, and, you know, wine and oil and those kinds of things. And that he calls fleeting, perilous. Are you and me? I mean, most of our wealth is a code on some computer. That's it. I mean, most of our wealth is just like an idea rather than a reality, right? And so for Jesus here, what he's getting at it, I mean, treasuring money, it's not just wrong, it's stupid. I mean, that's really what he's saying. He's not even like getting to the moral bit of this yet. He, he will uh, in a moment, but he's just saying, first off, this is, it's just dumb, right? If, you think, if we think this is going to fix our problems or save our lives, man, we're clueless. But what if, hear me out, hear me out, what if there was a treasure that actually lasts, that really, truly endured, an investment that was guaranteed, that, that actually satisfies. Nah, can't be. Because I can tell you for me, and I, I, I would venture to guess, it's true in my life, it's probably true in most of our lives, if not all of us, at the end of the day, I live most of my life as if these 80 years, give or take, is all there is. There is, there's nothing out there, right? I mean, that's how we live, right? And so, of course, I've got to grab it. I've got to take what I can get with every single moment. But if I actually believe what Jesus is saying, because I end up asking myself, well, then what's like the minimum that I have to give, right? And then maybe I can just like go a little bit below that, right? To fudge through it. Um, but if I really believe this, the question, the question I would be asking with my life isn't how much earthly treasure can I get. The question would be, how much heavenly treasure can I, can I store up? How do I do this and how can I invest more? Yeah, but is that really gonna happen, right? So here's, here's the first step this morning. It's a task that, quite frankly, I can't do often enough because I love money and I love the things that money promises to give me. Step one, make an inventory of your treasures. Not a a list of your possessions, right? Uh, But an ordering of your loves. What do you treasure? Not not what, what should you treasure or what you wish was true about you, even what you maybe think you treasure. What do you actually treasure most in your life? Because you can, you can tell a whole lot about a person by looking at their budget, right? 
any volunteers, right? And, and which, by the way, if you don't have a budget, like a plan for how you spend, save, and give, then you're never gonna do any of this. I mean, just honestly, we're always gonna gravitate in the other direction. You've gotta have a plan. But what would your plan say about you? I mean, if you were to see my budget, if you were to look at my credit card statements, you would know in about six seconds the things that I love, where my heart goes, what I'm passionate about. What, what, do, you, what do you daydream about? What are you browsing for regularly on Amazon? I can't believe how many times I open Amazon for no other purpose than just to see, like, oh, I wonder what's new today, right? Because it changes so much. I mean, are you kidding me? Like, I get bored, and it's like, I don't even know how I get to the website. It's like, it's just there, all, right? What are, you, what are you willing to go into debt for? What are the things that you just can't say no to? And, and maybe, maybe at this point you're thinking, yeah, come on, Nathan, sure, I like to buy stuff. But I don't have a problem. Which, of course, is exactly what everybody who has a problem says, right? Have you ever met somebody? I mean, that, that's what we say. So, so let's, say, let's, let's say you don't have a problem. Then just stop for a while. Just try it. I mean, it's Lent, right? Ash Wednesday was this past week. It's 40 days. You've got a five-day head start. Maybe for some of us, take the next six weeks and don't buy anything that you don't absolutely need. Some of you are like, God, no right? <laughs> you think you could do it? I don't know. I'd rather give up chocolate, right? And there goes my heart. Because here, here's part of the problem with this. I mean, the, these next words that Jesus goes to, they're, con- they're confusing. They're difficult to get our, our minds around, I think. But I think what Jesus is doing, he's offering us a better lens, like a, a better, like we need a better way of seeing and understanding reality around us. Because when it comes to this issue, we're blind, but the problem is, like, we don't even know that we're blind. We assume that I'm, doing, I'm fine, right? Now, now, I realize, I don't, I don't want to categorize too much, but I, I'm guessing there's, there's a, a, a decent number of you at this point that are just kind of wishing I would just shut up, right? Uh, wishing to be over. You know where this is going. It's going to get a little bit more personal before it gets better, right? Um, and so you're wishing that, that I'd shut up. Others of you, maybe even most, most of you are still at this point thinking, Man, I'm really glad Nathan's addressing my friend's money problems, right? (laughs) Right? Because you don't have a problem. I don't have a problem. None of us actually thinks we have a problem. We know that there's a problem out there somewhere, and you can see it, and I can see it in everybody else, but it's not me. So this will be fine. This is a good exercise. Um, And I'm not not trying to make us feel guilty, right, just to give some perspective. So I did a little bit of research this week. Um, I think we'd all admit... The U.S. is a fairly wealthy nation, right? I don't think we'd argue about that. Um, so there, there are 3,000 counties, a little over, actually, 3,000 counties in the United States. Johnson County, where we live, uh, is ranked 75, at least in, in 2011. That was the most current uh, information I could find, which puts us, you and me, in the top 2.5% of the United States. That's pretty good. I mean, because that's by America standards, Right? Top two and a half percent. You want to know what it is globally? Yeah, I know you don't. I don't either, right? Um, but I did a little more research. Of course I did. I had to pull that string. Um, globally, by median income in Olathe, median income, recent census, is like $69,000, $70,000 household income. So that means, all, like, if we're 
matching our community. As many of us here make more than that is below that. That's how that works. Probably more just given the neighborhoods around us, right? Um, median income. Uh, that's in the 0.11% of the, of the world. 0.11. Which means you and I make more money than 99.89% of 7.3 billion people. So we have, we have more than more than 7.2, give or take, billion people. And here's where it gets fun. Show of hands, let's be honest. Who wants just a little bit more? Huh? Ah, yeah, I know. A few of you are willing to actually do it. We all do, right? And maybe not even just a little bit more. We want a lot more. No, we're not slaves at all. We don't have problems. We need a better lens, a better way, a better way of seeing. Look at, look at verse 22. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Which is weird, right? It's hard to like, follow what's going on there. I think, I think what's happening there is Jesus is pointing out the fact that our eyes are what guide us. Right? What you see, where you're focused, that's where your life goes, Right? That's just how, that's how we work. And so if our eyes are good, focused on things that are good and whole and right, then that's, that's where our lives go. But if our eyes are bad, right, if, we're, if our, what we're seeing the world through uh, is the immediate, the, the gratification, the status that we can achieve, then it's only going to lead us down a path towards more, more darkness. Because greed is kind of a unique sort of sin, isn't it? Because we don't, we don't see it in ourselves. I mean, if you, if you steal, you know that you've stolen, Right? If you kill somebody, you know that you're a murderer. I mean, if you, if you were to wake up tomorrow in bed with another woman, you wouldn't turn and say, hey, you're not my wife. What happened, right? You know, you know when you've done those things, but nobody in here thinks they're greedy. Nobody does. That makes it, that makes it pretty hard to identify, right? It's certainly pretty hard to treat within our own hearts. Our potential for self-deception here is just endless. And if our eyes are bad, how will we be able to see out of the muck? Again, the first, the first step, right? Inventory of the treasurings. Second, as we acknowledge how broken our way of seeing is, we have to discern what, what exactly it is we're looking for. What are you really looking for in pursuit of money, right? Because money's just money, it's nothing, right? And yet it promises something. So what is it you're going after? And we've talked about this, right? For some, it's status. It's how important it makes you, makes you look, right? I mean, you've arrived and you want everybody to know it. So the clothes you wear, the, the car you drive, the house you live in, the toys that you have, it's, it's a statement to the world that I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good person. I've made it. Look at me. For others, many of us, it's about power, safety, control. It's just, frankly, it's easier to trust money than it is to trust Jesus, isn't it? It is for me. For me, probably, probably the thing that I go to most, I, just, I want money to make me feel good, Right? So give me pleasure and satisfaction. I, I ask money. Money, would you please make me happy? Would you make me happy? And yet, Jesus offers us every one of these things. We just don't believe he has the power to fall through. And so we settle again for money. And we don't even see it. This is where, where community is so important. Man, we need each other in this. Because uh, we just, we can't see it. And so maybe for some of us, a place to begin, maybe you just need to have a conversation with your spouse. 
Because maybe you can't see it in yourself if you're, if you're married, but maybe, maybe you can't see it in your husband or your wife. Have that conversation. That'll be a fun date night, right? Happy Valentine's. Some of you are like, what are we going to talk about tonight at dinner? Now you know, right? Um, you're welcome. And what, what would others say? I mean, don't, don't leave it there, but I mean, it has to, you have to have that conversation if you're married. But what would others say? Are there people in your life who know you well enough, who see your lifestyle well enough, that they know how you're saving, how you're giving, why you're spending, and actually have permission to speak into it? And I realize, even as I say that, most of us here are like, first of all, no, and second of all, uh, no way, ever, right? Which is... We'll talk to other people about our parenting problems, our marriage problems, our work problems, even our sex problems, right? But money, nope, right? No way. That's a little too personal, a little too deep, a little too intimate. I wonder if it has anything to do with the fact that deep down we actually know how messed up we are with this issue, right? What would our kids say? If you have kids, right, what would they say? They know. They know what you love, don't they? You know what your parents love, what they're living for, what they're spending their time pursuing. What are we teach, parents, what are we teaching our kids to love? According to the American Psychological Association, this was published a few years back, it says, compared with their grandparents, today's young adults have grown up with much more affluence, slightly less happiness, and much greater risk of depression and assorted social pathology are becoming much better off over the last four decades has not been accompanied by one iota of increased subjective well-being. So kids, I'm sorry. We've, we've given you everything that you could possibly want, right? Ex- except for what you, what you really, really want, what you truly, deeply need. We've given you every advantage. You have more toys, more devices, more opportunities than your parents or grandparents could ever have even dreamed of. We have every material thing except for actual happiness. But hey, enjoy your new Lego set. Right? Okay, so some of you are feeling sad, guilty, angry. Um, I'm with you on this, okay? Um, these aren't my words. This is what Jesus is, is teaching us here in this place. Um, and so maybe if you're feeling that, you're like, man, when's this going to be over, right? Because what I really need to do is go out and buy something so I can feel just a little bit better, right? Um, is that so, I mean, some of you are like, you're waiting. You just need to feel good again, right? Go ahead. You can get out your phone. Just do it right now in here. I mean, it's a little bit like sneaking a drink at an AA meeting, but whatever, Okay. <laughs> That was low, wasn't it? Yeah. I'm with you, people. I'm with you. Last comparison. Better treasure, a better lens, and ultimately a better master. Because I will be ruled by what I love. And here, Jesus makes it as explicit as he possibly could, doesn't he? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Yeah, but I'm going to try. I mean, I realize, Jesus, like, most people can't do both, right? But I'm going to find that sweet spot right in the middle where I, where I, can, I can 
You know, just give them both a little bit. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, right? Imagine a slave owned by two masters. How chaotic that, how ridiculous, how painful that would be, right? Can't be done. And yet somehow we think we're the exception. And listen, again, it's not that, it's not that we reject money or things, hard work or savings. It's not that we can't own nice stuff or go to nice places or make money. Jesus isn't saying any of that. It's that. And this, this is our third action item or whatever you want to call it this morning. Let money be your servant, not your master. Train money to serve you, not the other way around. Because money's, money's a great servant. I mean, with money, you can invest in good products and businesses, creating jobs. Like, you can actually do that, create jobs for other people, sustenance for other families. You can plan for the future, meet, meet your family's needs, real needs, and yes, even provide them with, with opportunities. You can give to the needy. And there, there's no shortage. Remember, you're doing better than 7.2 billion people. There's about a billion of them that, that aren't going to survive without help. Give to, the, give to your local church. The, the incredible work that God is doing in changing lives here in this place and through our local and global partnerships, making a lasting difference in our community world. And one of the things, we, we say this often, I, I always feel like I have to explain it because it seems like the, about the most arrogant thing a pastor could ever say, but we, we believe it wholeheartedly. I hope you don't hear arrogance with it, but we believe the local church as God designed is the hope of the world. That's not meant to be cocky. That's not meant to, to, to pat Christ's community on the back. It's simply because we believe that Jesus meant it when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That means you can't get a better investment tip than that. That, that if, you're not, if you're not giving sacrificially to your church, you are missing out. There is no better return on investment, on, on, on any investment, than being, being engaged in the thing that Jesus, the king of the universe, the king who is coming, to set up his full and complete reign. The one who died to save us promises he is going to do something amazing through his people. Invest there. Money's a great servant, but it is a terrible master, and we know it, right? I don't even have to say that. It promises everything. It promises you can, you can be powerful, right? You can be in control. You can be safe. You can be beautiful. You can, you can be happy, or at least, you know, distracted, right? Reminds me of Edmund. And the white witch in Narnia, I love those stories. You know, the Turkish delight. Money's like our Turkish delight, right? It promises, it promises us that we can be a king. And I'm just gullible enough to believe it, frankly. And it tastes so good, right? First few bites. Eventually, it builds a cell around us. It turns to ash in our mouth and begins to destroy us from the inside out. Yeah, that movie just, a, maybe just another bite. The reality is money is not going to die for your sins. It's not going to defeat the grave, overcoming all that is dark and ugly and broken. It's not, it's not going to fix the problems of death. Frankly, it's not even going to fix the really big problem. Money, money can't keep your family together. Money, money is not going to save your marriage. It's not going to fix your depression or your loneliness or your anger or your lust. It can't, for, for all the things that matter most, money is powerless. can't offer hope even beyond the short term. And we all, we all agree, and Christian or not, money is a better servant than a master. The problem is I'm just really lousy at it. Well, let me, let me mention just four, four quick tips. Like if we're going to, 
actually want money to serve us rather than the other way around. Here, four, four quick things. First, I already mentioned it, right? You gotta have a plan. None of this happens without a plan. Um, so just get over it and make one, right? Um, and in that, in that plan, create margin, avoid debt, save prudently, and plan for generosity. Easy peasy, right? Right? That's a joke. It's hard. It's really hard. Um, but it's gotta, you got to begin there. Second, and I, I need this one more, focus on gratitude for what you do have rather than pursuit of what you don't. I mean, imagine if we flipped our focus, right? Instead of always thinking, what's the next thing, the next vacation, the next purchase, the next income adjustment? What if instead we put that energy into just gratitude, being thankful for what we do have? Because gratitude, contentment, I mean, the, those are just better anyway. They last longer, they, they run deeper, and they're, they're actually good for us. Third, and I heard somebody mention this uh, this week. It kind of reframed it for me, but I wanted to share it as well. Third, buy stuff for its usefulness, not for its status or the feelings it gives. Just let me think about that. Buy stuff because it's useful, not because of how good it makes you feel or how good it makes you look. That would, that would change quite a bit, wouldn't it? Last one. This is it's obvious, right? We've already said it. Embrace a lifestyle of generosity. You just got to do it. You got to give stuff away and more than you can spare and give till it hurts. Kids, you probably have too many Legos, too many stuffed animals, too many video games, too many clothes. Give some of it away before it steals your heart. It wants your heart. And I'll be the first to say, I mean, I know, I'm, I'm a pastor, I get it. Um, but I hate this. When the Apostle Paul said, God loves a cheerful giver, he was not talking about me. I give kicking and screaming, clenching every last cent, most times, anyway. <laughs> Believing the lie it tells me, right? With every, you'll be happier if you spend me, right? Uh, you'll be safer if you save me. But listen, I can tell you from personal experience, one of the best ways to break the pattern of slavery in your life is to just ruthlessly give. And the more, the harder this is for you, the more you need to do it, the deeper you need to cut. Go through your closet, go through your garage, go through your finances, and give till it hurts. It'll be better. It really will. But you know what? None of this is enough, right? And we can talk about all this and have all these good plans and say, yeah, I'm going to go do better and, you know, we'll still stink it up when we get out of here. Um, we need something more than that. We cannot just dethrone money. We have to replace it. We need a better master. So run, run to the master who sets you free, to, to the Savior who, who buys us out of our cruel tyranny and, and gives us the hope that we've been searching for, the things that we, that we truly long for, because he, he has already paid the price, the ultimate debt on the cross. He defeated death and sin and all that is broken, all, that are, all of our failures, and he offers us a way through, through simple faith in him. People, you will, I will be ruled by what I love. It's not an option. And so you can be ruled by the master who will take everything from you. The one who will never give you a moment, a moment of rest, a bit of content, because there's always more, right? Once we start worshiping that God, we, 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 I mean, it's, it's like a disease, isn't it? We just we always have to have more, always searching for the next thing. We can keep going back there, or... Or we can serve the one master who died to set us free. To give us life and hope beyond what we could possibly even imagine. Beginning now and extending forever. 
For wherever your treasure is, there goes your heart. Let's pray. Oh, God, we need your help. God, I, I realize that even, even when I say I know that I'm broken in this area, because um, I do, Help me to realize that I probably don't even know the half of it. I don't, I don't even see the ways that money and things capture my life and my affections. God, would you, would you forgive us? And would you set us free? God, I, I pray that we would be so, um, so in awe of your inbreaking kingdom that you would just unleash generosity within us. God, would, would, you, would you help us see how we can love our neighbor, how we can care for those um, around us? God, how we can just better, be better parents, better friends, better spouses, better colleagues. God, I pray that you would set us free. And together, Lord Jesus, we would worship you because you're the king that we want to serve. You are the one that we want to worship because only you will set us free. Only you have life. Only you offer joy. God, give us a taste, we pray.